0: Report in.
1: Red 10 standing by. Red 7 standing by. Red 3 standing by. Red 6 standing by. Red 9 standing by. Red 2 standing by. Red 11 standing by.
0: Red 5 standing by. an attack position.
1: It's true. All of it. Force, the Jedi. It's all true. All right, let's see what we have here.
0: Try over here. Let's come around, Red Five. I've got different coordinates than what our comm says. That can't be. We've got the chatter pilots. We've got a mission to <laughs> What was that? Red Five,
1: Red Five! Come around to point oh two and stabilize. Uh, Red Five? We would be honored if you would join us. podcast is part of the red five network all right everybody welcome to another edition of star wars and beyond and this week we are definitely going beyond we are going to one of my loves we are talking dungeons and dragons so i started way back in uh 1989 playing this game uh, and it's really changed my life. It's uh, It got me really into reading and a little bit more into math uh, and all that great stuff. Uh, but here's a quick uh, history of DD for those that are not familiar. Uh, we have uh, Gary Gygax and Dave Arnson first published it in 1974. It was a un- uh, a unique thing that replaced... ...familiar military formations with individual characters to lead campaigns in a fantasy world setting. This was later revamped in 1977, which was called Advanced D&D, and they, they had two different groups there. Uh, so we had the regular uh, D&D, then Advanced. In 1989, uh, the game again was revised into possibly, or arguably, the most popular version of the game... D&D 2E, or 2nd edition. The next version that came out was in 2000, and again in 2003. And uh, that changed the combat from Thaco, which was to hit Armor Class Zero, to a D20-based system, and gave others a chance to make their own changes under a unique Open Game License, or an OGL. And then in 2008... Uh, They gave us 4th edition, uh, which uh, just further expanded on uh, the literature and the rules. Uh, And six years later, in 2014, we have received the latest issuance of D&D, and that is D&D 5E. So I say all that to introduce our guest tonight. Our guest has taken this monumental task of creating his own campaign system for the D&D 5E game. And his name is Jacob Dirksen.
0: Thank you for having me on.
1: Absolutely. Uh, Ever since uh, I had heard of uh, this setting uh, that uh, you were making from uh, my current DM, Matt Kaiser, uh, I've really been interested in it. And as we kind of talked, uh, a little off air before, uh, my genealogy, uh, runs a little bit into your system. Mm. Um, so, but before we get into the particulars on that and how that might all fit in, how did you first get your start into tabletop gaming?
0: Uh, same way a lot of people do, I'm sure, you know, uh. You're hanging out with your buddies one evening. Uh, you're young teenagers, maybe around the age of 16, 17, looking for something to do. Uh, and you all start thinking, hey, you know what? I've heard about this game, D&D. We're all into you know, pretty cool, geeky stuff like Lord of the Rings and Star Wars and all that sort of thing. Uh, why don't we just get together and start figuring it out? And that's what we did. And uh, started awesome. off with... 4th edition, uh, but very quickly backtracked into 3.5. Fooled around with that for a long time, bouncing between that and Pathfinder. And of course, you know, trying some other systems in between. Uh, Then, you know, 5th edition came around. Uh, We took to it pretty well, and uh, always keeping up our adventurousness with uh, all other kinds of systems. Uh, But uh, yeah, 5e has always kind of been the uh, pillar of my home group ever since it's come out but you know fairly fairly typical progression uh spent pretty even amount of time actually as a player and a dm uh where my group might be actually a little exceptional as i understand it at least is uh we all take uh rotations in dming and uh we are also pretty we have we keep a pretty manic schedule a rotation you might say where there's like usually no less than three active games going at a time over a rotation of several weeks. So it's always been uh, it's always been uh, diverting.
1: Right. Yeah, and I agree. I, like I said uh, in my intro, I've been playing since 1989. Uh, I started off with 2nd edition, kind of went back and picked up uh, the advanced D&D and got into some of the classes there uh, that were not available in 2nd. Um, and then uh as we progressed along uh I'm pretty much one of the only ones of our group that kept up with all the latest editions as it came out uh most of them are still diehard second edition fans they just mm. they've been you know we're almost fifty years old, and we've been playing this for uh you know so many years and Uh, You know, you really don't want to mess with something that uh, that is as tried and true as they're used to. But absolutely. uh, I always love a new challenge and I'm really impressed with the way that uh, 5e has done their system. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's easy to pick up. Uh, uh, it, It almost has the same feel as like a second edition, the way that the classes are made. Uh, the way that uh, they handle the feats, and really let your imagination be the guide. Uh, So I I was really, really impressed with it, and so I'm glad I I, I went with it. Um, But getting back into your background just a little bit, Mm -hmm. um, I was reading that you are an archaeologist. Yes. Yes. Now, did, did D&D shape your career choice at all, or, you know, was, uh, or is that just something that you've always been fascinated with, and it kind of fits hand-in-hand hand a little bit with what you've uh, undertaken?
0: Yeah, I'd say they've just always really fit together hand-in-hand hand and have always been kind of parallel interests. Uh, the archaeology, more than anything, actually is kind of a, <laughs> you might say, a matter of family, because uh, my, my dad was an archaeologist. Uh, I grew up with him, you know, occasionally taking me out to dig sites and whatnot, so I was exposed to it early. Uh, At home, he was always bringing, you know, artifacts from the lab that he needed to clean and uh, catalog and whatnot, so he had this whole home laboratory set up, uh, basically, where the dining room table was just spread out with all these arrowheads and lithics and pottery shards and everything, and, uh, you know, I'm just... uh, all of the media that uh, he, he had us consume, that he showed, introduced us to when we were kids, was uh, always like very historical and based in uh, an exploration of culture. Like that, that sort of fascination was just really cultivated around the house, you could say. So that's where uh, the the whole archaeology thing came from. It just kind of seemed like a natural thing to follow in my dad's footsteps. And uh, I should also mention my dad is also uh, a part of this book. Uh, it's his uh uh, woodblock prints that you might've been admiring on the demo PDF so far. He is also a very accomplished oh, yes. carpenter having carved the woodblocks for that himself. But, uh, yeah, the, uh, the D and D, uh, came along just kind of as, you know, a natural consequence of being a geeky guy, you know? Uh, I guess again, thanks to my dad. Cause, uh, he, you know, like, you know, when I, uh, you know, Read the uh, the Hobbit and Lord of the Rings to me as a kid for bedtime stories. Like since I was real little, like when I was still too young to even understand what was really going on in those books. Uh, He would like, you know, bust me out of school uh, every time that uh, one of the three Lord of the Rings movies was premiering in the theaters, and we would play hooky and go see that. So it's just always been kind of this, uh, you know, uh, just this whole melting pot of influences. Uh, And yeah. Mostly from my father, now that I think about it. <laughs>
1: well, that's cool. I mean, uh, you know, it's... Uh, when I was reading it, and um, uh, I believe it was in the preface of the book, uh, I was like, well, let's see, was it d Was it... Because I didn't know that your father was an archaeologist as well. I was like, well, I mean, was it
0: Indiana Jones? Or, you know, because I've actually have actually. Oh, Indiana Jones is that, a big part. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, when I was a little and, kid, and when and I first... Like, I, <laughs> when I when I uh, when my dad would go away on digs, when I after I had first seen the Indiana Jones movies, I was still a little kid, and I thought, or being an archaeologist meant that he was off fighting Nazis. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome.
1: So, when did you first realize that you wanted to tackle tackle this uh, large
0: task of uh, developing a game se- setting? Uh, I didn't really. I can't say that I set out from the very beginning with that objective in mind. Uh, To be honest, I think more than anything, it was a way of filling time during the the shutdown. You know, the Mm -hmm. shutdown that we all went through uh, quite recently. Uh, That's um, what really gave this thing, this project the space to breathe, you know, gave me the time to work on it that it needed. Uh, So at first it was just kind of a, it was just, a, a, a first, a way to fill time during the shutdown. You know, obviously I was going to be sharing it with my home group and everything. Uh, uh, but somewhere along the way, it just kind of kept on growing into something. And it was honestly, uh, I mean, not to put on airs or anything. A lot of it, re- at the, especially at the beginning, really was a lot the way uh, that a lot of writers will speak about how their books come into being, that you're just kind of swept away by it, you know, and before you know it, you have something on your hands here. It it actually was kind of a callback or a reprisal to my very first attempt at a uh, homebrew campaign way back when I was still a baby DM, uh, like starting out over a decade ago. Uh, still working with uh, – I think we had just moved over from fourth edition into 3.5, and I was trying to get this campaign setting where it was all – celtic influences you know not just specifically ireland like heroes of Tara is but including you know the british isles and gaul and just throwing everything mm-hmm. at the wall there and it was just uh you know had all the chaotic trademarks of uh, a first-timer dm uh, a lot of effort spent in the wrong places uh i wrote a whole setting bible but you know the game itself never really uh amounted to much in my eyes though it's still fondly remembered by my players even to this day but uh i guess yeah i just kind of started off from thinking you know i can do that better let's uh make it more efficient and achievable by narrowing the scope specifically on ireland because you know not only is that a convenient very conveniently like self-contained landmass being an island uh uh, it is also very conveniently self-contained uh mythological body uh, as far as you know the source materials that have been preserved and whatnot so mm-hmm. yeah it all just kind of came together really so uh, you you did mention that it was
1: uh, it's an Irish setting so uh, why did you decide on uh, the Irish as uh, for um, uh, this campaign group
0: uh, it was a few reasons um, I mean first primarily uh, first off the The launching off point is the word I was looking for, would be uh, just my own temperament, my own interest, really. Uh, I had always, you know, been a sort of person to study cultures and mythologies from all around the world. And uh, just something in particular about this uh, mythology really caught my eye. A lot of it has to do with the music uh, of the culture as well. You know, I was really enchanted by a lot of bands and uh, music groups that came out of Ireland, still am to this day. Uh, so that kind of drew me to it. And as I became gradually more aware of, uh, Irish mythology, I started to wonder, you know, why does nobody ever talk about this? You know, we all talk about mm-hmm. Greek mythology and Norse mythology. We all know those inside and out by this point. Pop culture has, uh, you know, made, uh, quite a bit of use out of them, but, uh, not the same for Irish mythology. I mean, everybody is kind of vaguely aware of it. Everybody is curious and would love to know more, but it's just a really difficult topic to get a jumping-off point into. You know, no one really knows any kind of like uh, seminal works to point to as like the window or the uh, you know the gateway for study of this. Pop culture has never really addressed it that much, and I think that it's because it is it's in a way different from its other uh, peers in European mythology, from Greek mythology and Norse mythology. I can't speak for others further afield, Egyptian, and so on. But uh, it's it has this really surreal, otherworldly quality that you just... It, it, it makes it difficult uh, for our modern conventions of storytelling. Uh, passing a time seems re- less relevant. Uh, the uh, reality in, in, in as a whole is less reliable within these stories. But conversely, it just seemed like a perfect setting for an RPG game. Uh, and it also seemed like a welcome challenge, really. <laughs>
1: well, that that's cool. I and uh, as I was kind of hinting to uh, earlier, and we talked about that. Uh, you know, my uh, heritage is English and Irish, mm. uh, and so uh, when I was looking through uh, the demo uh, player's handbook, um, I was looking at. And went back to family tree and kind of found out where, where along in this setting are uh, you know would I, my family be located and that that's kind of cool and kind of gives it that personal touch for me as well. Um, were there other um, uh, other groups that you might have thought of trying other than Irish? Um, I know that uh, you know yeah there's a lot of it's been based uh, D and D's been based off of. Uh, Lord of the Rings for the uh for say English or uh as far as a typical fantasy setting um I know that uh, magic is now kind of uh in D&D have teamed up to do a little bit of the uh the Greek setting and oh, yep. uh the um uh, the Egyptian setting so was was there another possible setting that you might have gone with and just decided to go with Irish?
0: Well, I would say Irish was always going to be the front runner, uh, just as, by nature of what I happen to know about it. I was coming to this book already with like a a, a a big front-loaded store of knowledge that I've just built up over years of personal interest in the topic. Though, you know, I know a fair amount about other mythologies as well, and I would like to say that. If I could give this same sort of treatment to every single mythology in the world, I absolutely would. Every sort of mythology and culture deserves this sort of treatment. Uh, Mm -hmm. But then it just becomes a bit more of a complex matter of uh, what source materials uh, is there on hand to work with, Uh, you know, especially uh, cultures that might not be, say, in the Western hemisphere. Uh, A lot of their works might not even be translated into English. Or, and thus not tra- uh, accessible to me. A lot of them might be lost to time, uh, you know, or some tragedy of history. Uh, there are quite a lot of uh, cultures that I would love to have a look at that, you know, unfortunately one might say uh, colonialism is a big culprit in uh, depriving us from a lot of written records or stories and traditions in the world, uh, Mesoamerica, African traditions, etc., Though of course, you know that's not to say they're uh, still not surviving and vibrant in their own way. But mm-hmm. to try and convert, uh, I would say that not every mythology is uh, as fertile ground for a role-playing game as another. It really depends on a case-to-case basis. But uh, the one that I perhaps have had a most kind of concrete concept in my mind if i were to move on to another one after here's Atara*, it would probably be uh russian folklore uh centered around the kiev the kingdoms of the Kievan Rus russ uh, around the uh 12th and 13th centuries uh they have this absolute vibrant uh you know body of folklore you know i'm not sure if the baba yaga necessarily overlaps with the uh Kievan Rus era of stories but she would fit in there like a puzzle piece Uh, Koshi the Deathless uh, if you've ever heard of him Mm. uh, they have uh, as far as like uh, archetypes that could be uh, offered for player character choices and classes they have this whole cast of uh, heroes that are uh, like kind of uh, you know the equivalent to what in English folklore might be called a knight errant or something in uh, Slavic Mm -hmm. uh, uh, folklore referred to as the Bogatyr uh there are three big characters uh, i can't remember any of their names right now but they would provide some real good uh uh models to work off of for inspiration and then you know they have a few other archetypes that i would love to try and experiment with for player choices like uh the blessed fool is this big character you see in slavic folklore all the time just this young person who is just kind of like uh you know stumbling their way through an adventure and uh these uh Mysterious forces that be always seem to be kinda of looking out for them and whatnot. It's it would really le- lead to some interesting gameplay choices. But uh so yeah, I'd say that's Slavic folklore right now is the front runner for me. Uh if I were to find any other setting. Awesome.
1: Um so I know that we kind of uh, hinted around and you kind of talked about it a little bit on, uh, you know, you kind of started this when you went back to 3.5 uh, <laughs> with the idea in mind. Uh, how long has has
0: this uh, Heroes of Tara been in development? Well, uh, yeah, I'd say it started a little bit before the shutdown, though, you know, earlier I did refer to the fact that it really kind of had its... Uh, greatest uh, growth period during all the free time uh, provided by the shutdown. But uh, it, it was going a little bit before then. So in all, I would say about two years on average, I would say, round out mm-hmm. to about two years of, of writing. Uh, we've been in the, the promotion phase for about six months now. Wow. That's, uh, that, that's a lot. And can you take us a little bit through the process?
1: And uh, and I'll give you my frame of reference. Uh, back when in my original group, uh, we went through just about every D and D campaign that they had, every mm. module, everything that we could find. So we ended up writing our own and coming right. up with it, and drawing the maps, and uh, and, and making the monsters, and uh, yeah, and just doing our own developing kind of stuff. And uh, that was nowhere near. Uh, you know, trying to have a whole campaign setting. Uh, So what the process like for coming
0: up with uh, a a whole new setting? Well, I'd say it was helped a lot by the fact that it's not really a a new setting. It's in fact a very, very old setting that I've just been uh, of service in translating to a, a new medium. You might say. Uh, okay. This is uh, this this is uh, as authentically as I can represent it. A condensation of uh, ancient Iron Age Irish culture and history, as informed through what we know about through archaeology and such, but also the mythology. Like the the genuine myth. It's not just inspired by mythology. This this is the mythology that uh, is taking place on the gaming table and uh because of that i basically was uh very fortunate to have access to all sorts of source materials original sources and written records into the, the mythologies themselves and what i would do is i would uh just go through the stories bit by bit and i would be on the lookout for uh let's say if i'm looking for uh the big part was classes I was I, I would uh, refer to the heroes, the main heroes, for the archetypes that they provide. Like I was talking about how I would refer... I was talking about the Bogatyr earlier in the Slavic uh, speculation. Uh, we In Irish mythology, we have these big uh, heroes, just like how in Greek mythology there's Achilles and Hercules and Odysseus. In Irish mythology, there is Cahollon and Finn McCool. And, uh, mm. many others besides. And, uh, now they, these guys are known for superlative qualities and deeds, and uh, the stories go to great lengths in detail to uh, describe what these guys are capable of, what they achieve. And so uh, I would simply read the uh, what the mythology reported on what these heroes would do, and I would just take that and apply it to my class design. See, I have uh, three classes, the uh, Fenid, the Feely, and the Warrior of the Red Branch. Uh, the Feely is a spellcaster and is almost entirely uh, informed by what we know through linguistics and uh, uh, literary history uh, and is not so much tied to any specific archetypal hero figure. But uh, the Fened and the Warrior of the Red Branch are respectively based directly off of Finn McCool and Cahollon. So if I would be reading a story about Cahollon it would say, and he performed his salmon leap and leapt across the uh, chasm and stuff like that, and I would say, okay, salmon leap, that's something Kahollin can do. Well, Warrior of the Red Branch has salmon leap now. I need to come up with a way to represent <laughs> this deed of uh, you know, being able to leap great distances. Uh, Cúholan, uh, or like, uh, say, for uh, Finn McCool. Uh, Finn McCool is the commander of a, a famous war band known as the Fianna, and the Fiana are known for uh, their very high, stringent entry tests. They, they tested every applicant to join their ranks with these three tests. And uh, these tests would basically uh, prove that they were capable of great feats of agility and such, and skill on the battlefield and speed. And so... I would design the fended class to re- reflect that. They have features that mm-hmm. are directly named off of these tests. The stick test, the thorn test, the hazel and oak test. And uh, for each of these tests, like one of them, the thorn test, uh, they, it is very specifically described as uh, the applicant had to run through a forest with a thorn jammed into their heel and while they were running, they had to be able to catch that thorn while their foot was up in mid-stride and pluck it out of their heel. And they could not stop to do this because they were there were other Fenid immediately right behind them that would catch them and beat them mercilessly if they were caught. So these guys, they had to run and like jam this thorn into their heel with every stride and try to catch it with every uh, upswing of their foot. And uh, the way I interpreted this for the Fenid was, okay, so they're running... This test required them to run with a thorn in their foot. Obviously, this gives them advantage or a perk to uh, navigating difficult terrain. So, it uh, mm. gives them a perk for navigating difficult terrain. Another quality of, well, they had to ha- really be dexterous to snatch this thorn right out of their the, the underside of their heel in mid-stride without breaking uh, any rhythm or stride in their movement. So, they had to also be really... They could all probably also snatch other things, too. So give them this uh, quality that allows them to reflexively deflect an incoming blow, uh, snatching the thorn so to speak. So that's basically my philosophy that I've followed throughout. Uh, and that's just for designing the uh, the classes. Uh, the races were a bit more easy as the mythology itself does uh, present the three cla- the three uh, races or tribes rather that I've used here quite clearly and uh, gives them all very generous stage time the a she furbolg and gale and then you know it just goes on down from there like you know what can i research about irish mythology or culture today what can i just read and dive into until something catches my eye and if i see something that sounds really cool that's awesome how can i fit it in it's just it it, it was never a uh, a uh, a precisely guided or pre-planned sort of process. It was very much uh, me just kind of jumping into the source material and seeing what I could find, because there is not a piece Mm -hmm. of this game that was not designed without precedent first provided from the source material. I didn't make up anything out of thin air in this game. Every single thing in this game is inspired from some original, authentic piece of history or mythology or something. And uh, oftentimes I would have uh, this idea of, oh man, I have this idea for a character class, and I can just see the concept here because of this one seed of uh, a concept here that I found in the uh, source material. And I need to dig deeper and see if there's anything else. But unfortunately, sometimes it's just that one little scrap and that's not enough to stretch yeah. out into a full player class or something and i actually i was i was tempted many times to fudge it a little bit and you know kind of fill the gaps with some of my own uh, contrivances and making things up but i just i i don't presume that for this book to really teach anybody or i and i d- certainly don't want anybody to rely on this book as if it were genuine objective academic scholarship but I still very much kind of approached it with that kind of attitude, where I I just—it was just a a personal rule of mine, where I I would not make up anything for this game if I couldn't, if I could help it. Obviously, there are some creative interpretations. Uh, There's plenty of that. Uh, There are times where I've, uh, you know, taken one line of something and turned it into uh, a whole mechanic, but never. Mm -hmm. Never out of nothing entirely,
1: and I, I would say that that is trying to stay true to the source material. One got to be extremely difficult, and as you said, that you you know you were you know you could fudge it, you know if you wanted to, but you were sticking to your guns on not to. Yeah. Uh, so one kudo, kudos for that. That that's absolutely amazing. Uh, the dedication that that uh, that in the research that that takes um you know it's oftentimes i'll write a little short story off of you know a little doodle that i do uh mm-hmm. or uh you know just uh, i'll see um you know a, a ring from coffee it'll spill on my you know a paper or something i'm working on my desk and i'm like oh that kind of looks like a map well who would live there and, and <laughs> yeah. in my mind i have all this and it's I can completely make up and BS my whole way through it because I don't have to stay true to anything. It's just mm-hmm. my mind just working, and so f- to 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 keep it as authentic as possible where you can is absolutely amazing. And um, you know, uh, being part of a uh, a small group that has uh, gotten to uh, to preview a little bit of it uh and i've just absolutely loved everything i've seen it yeah so uh and, and um like, like i said uh you know i i just printed out you you released a new uh you know uh preview of it and so uh, i have that all downloaded out and um i have it uh, all uh earmarked and uh post-it noted and, and everything <laughs> as i go through it and so yeah it, it's it's pretty awesome um and, and like I was saying that uh you know the land uh, of Tara is uh, set on a uh, you know the actual map of Ireland yeah. um it, it is that, Iron, Iron Age Ireland, Ireland. Right, what what other uh, what, you know I, I don't mm-hmm. want to spoil a whole lot here but what else can you tell us about Tara that makes it, Uh, the amazing place to have an adventure. Uh, You know, I know that we've talked a little bit about the races and the classes, but what about the land itself that uh, would really get players excited about this setting?
0: So, uh, Tara is actually the royal uh, seat of power that sits at the center of the setting of ancient Ireland. Uh, It is the throne of the High King, And the High King rules over the setting that is actually called Iru, named after one of the goddesses of the pantheon that you'll be encountering. And this is not your typical medieval kind of high fantasy that we're all so very used to. This is a very kind of uh, older setting in terms of the inspirations that it's drawn from. It's not a uh, low magic or historically accurate, but it is historically authentic and mythologically accurate where the players and the characters, they might live in these reed thatched mud huts, but the struggles that they face and the deeds they achieve are just as epic as any other high fantasy setting that you'll see out there. If not even more so, this is all about, uh, playing the big mythological epic hero, uh, and that's why 5th edition is honestly kind of the perfect setting for it. The perfect system, rather. It's, uh, uh, I'm sure that uh, you who uh, run in old school circles, you're probably aware of the uh, reputation that 5th edition has accrued of uh, having rather overpowered characters, or it might be said. Or superpowered characters, at least. Uh, and so some people might actually be shocked even horrified even by what the heroes of Tara characters are capable of. But uh, I would, (laughs) I would ask them to keep perspective by simply referring to what inspired it, the source material uh, that this is based off of. And in there you'll see the heroes like a and Finn McCool, just getting up to these things that uh, are, are absolutely astounding. And that's really what we are trying to achieve here with heroes of Tara is, to really let your characters be astounding. But it's also about exploring this totally new and unfamiliar setting that nobody has ever encountered before. And the setting is so deeply and richly realized, and it, uh, the book provides so many resources for the readers to actually get uh, some perspective and get invested into the setting that the role play will pretty much follow naturally once players start to get a feel for things and it'll be a new experience like they've never really had it's a, it's almost a i I wouldn't go so far as to say that it's simulating this society but it provides so many little cues for a player to follow should they wish it that they'll have their character uh behaving like an epic hero of yore before they even realize it and it'll be quite different from anything they have uh encountered before i'm sure of it If if only because they will know that it's in a way rooted in authenticity, it's rooted in something from our own world, maybe not real in itself, but certainly real in a sense.
1: Yeah, uh, absolutely. Uh, And uh, yeah, and I've heard that as far as uh, being an old school player about the uh, about the characters. And of course, anybody has that potential potential. you know, oh, yeah and there are ways you know there's ways to combat that if you get you know uh you know level twenty you know hero that has all these abilities and everything well, make a level thirty you know villain and make stuff up and you know it's uh if Absolutely. it gets too easy just just make it up and and one of the things that I really enjoyed and I've actually got to uh to play a couple of sessions um in this setting, uh, we had a preview at our uh, Roswell Alien Fest. Uh, nice, uh, that was run by uh, Matt Kaiser, uh, who's uh, part of your group as well. Yes, he's uh, contributed to the book. Yeah, the way that he brought it up, given the materials that uh, you know that I had read already, uh, he set the table. Great. And the and the literature and the the potential of this adventure was absolutely astounding. Mm. There are a couple of things that you know that that are different from what we're used to as a normal setting D and D group. But once we got into the rhythm of uh, the of the things that you've uh, might have changed up a little bit. Uh, it went so well and we had such a blast doing it it was supposed to go for 2 hours i think it went for almost 3 oh wow <laughs> cuz we didn't want to stop playing we just were like oh come on give us more give us more and, and, <laughs> and you can really I mean, you 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 feel into it and uh and and yeah the character you know they're not sitting up in shining castles but everybody has that potential given the opportunity Oh, and yeah. and you're right. Fifth edition really allows you to use that imagination. Well, I want to I want to do this. All right. mm-hmm. Okay, you want to do that? Roll it out. If it yep, succeeds, yep. great. And if it doesn't, well, you know, next time try something else. So absolutely, uh, yeah. You know, it, it's uh, it, you know, so so it's great. Uh, you know, but uh, but you have changed things up a little bit from the normal. Campaign setting, say like a Forgotten Realms uh, mm. setting, a little bit. Um, as far as, uh, and, and I don't want to give too much away here, but um, uh, some rituals, um, oh, yeah. you know, uh, some some other uh, some other things that uh, uh, that go on. Uh, was that was that something that you decided to do to try to keep it more authentic? uh, to the source material or is it, uh, is it something that you're just like, you know what, Uh, we're going to just try something new here. Uh, and we're going to go this way.
0: Uh, I would say that, you know, it was being all staying authentic to the source material and it often led to new places. Uh, there's, there's no need to be shy about giving anything away. We can be an open book here seeing as, uh, I've been (laughs) releasing the PDF and everything. Uh, I could guess that you might be referring to, let's say, a good feature to describe what you're getting at would be uh, the headhunting mechanic, right? Uh, that's that's, yes. some, that's not something that anybody would have uh, encountered before, and it's uh, pretty gnarly. It's uh, probably the most extreme part of the book, uh, and some people might not find it to their tastes, and that's okay. We do provide a little note in there that tells them how they could very easily make it without, uh, the gnarliness. But, so yeah, essentially head hunting. Uh, as some people might be aware, ancient Celtic cultures, uh, in warfare did practice the collection of trophy heads in combat. Um, and it was, uh, born of this belief that the soul resided in one's head, and that when a warrior collected these trophies, they were accruing to themselves not only prestige but also this like you know spiritual uh currency this uh you know mm-hmm. a kind of metaphysical power and weight to themselves kind of acquiring a measure of the vitality of all of those who they had uh, had victory over and such and the way we're uh translating this in the game is uh if you collect the a trophy from a fallen humanoid enemy uh you can roll a, uh, a roll a percentile die, and on a particular result, uh, depending on the CR of the enemy, you get a wondrous item magical effect on that head, and so you then get to use this trophy head as a wondrous item, as you just might in any other fifth edition thing, where they have all, like I have this the, all these roll tables of absolutely wild, crazy, very setting specific effects that uh that these uh trophies can help you out with and uh so yeah that's certainly going to raise a few eyebrows and uh like i said if people don't want to necessarily use a person's head then what they can they always reskin it to just like collecting any other kind of keepsake or memento or trophy off of that sure. fallen foe uh but it's yeah. still that that was a a, a big case of you know, the source material kinda leading me there first. Uh you know, it, it all kind of wrote itself by implying to me how, you know, oh, well the they believed that there were there was magic associated with this, that the heads were magical in a way, so I'm gonna have to reflect that literally. And this is a high fantasy game, so I am at complete liberty to do that in very colorful ways. So it just kinda Absolutely. Yeah, presented itself really. <laughs> when I
1: when I read it uh, uh my mind immediately went to uh the highlander movies oh and, yeah and and i was say you know because once they yeah and they say you know once the head is separated from the body then <laughs> you know then you get the quickening and and all that but right you know <laughs> if it would have happened in you know in this setting they would have saved the heads they just they they would have they would have yeah. thought that that's you know, so I'm like, oh, well, all right. So if I have a head on her, I could, I, you know, uh, his name's McLeod. And, and, you know, and he's going to be the Highlander. So, exactly. you know, so and, and I was like, wow, that that is just and Yeah, the the thought behind it is uh, it is really cool. And it, it but yeah, this this whole land will take you to a lot of. Uh, different places that uh, might seem familiar. You might have gotten a nugget here or a nugget there mm-hmm. in something, and then you have you get to see like almost a, a truer background of
0: it. And like I said, you really get sucked in. Yeah, um, and that is a fun thing. Is a lot of uh, a lot of uh, gamers from D and D they will recognize, like you say, a lot of little nuggets here and there because. Uh, of course you know as uh as little as the of the central spotlight as it may have gotten over the years celtic mythology has kind of come through and influenced quite a lot all the same uh people in D D, especially fifth edition they'll know obviously bards and druids they'll also know uh the furbolg our big you know eight foot tall furry floppy mm-hmm. eared guys in the uh, forgotten realms they are very different in this setting but they are all here in uh, their original uh, kind of uh, format, you might say. You get to see the original source of where it all came from.
1: That's that's really cool. So, uh, has there been a a big difference in say your magic system for this campaign rather than uh, your uh, the standard
0: D and D setting? Well, uh, we have uh, added in uh, four new spells. Uh, they're nothing exactly game changing or anything, but you know, a neat little touch for each of the uh, spell casting classes that are available. But uh, upon starting, uh, the spell casting system was actually far different than it is now. And that is to say, it was far different from the typical spell casting system. And that was for quite a few reasons that it's just kind of redundant to get into at this point, because the times in in the system itself have changed so much. Uh, Mm -hmm. But suffice to say that over the course of development, we actually did find it to be more practical to revert to something much more familiar to what people might know from 5th edition. So, no, the basic shape and foundation of the spellcasting system is not terribly changed, but there are a few different tweaks here and there. Uh, for the big thing is our, we have one primary spellcasting class the Feely who uh, can subclass into three different options the Bard, the Braham, the Druid and what's interesting is actually they only have cantrips up until level 3 for level 1 and 2 just cantrips and they uh, get their spellcasting and their access to a spell list at third level with their subclasses actually so the subclass mm-hmm. choice is far more relevant uh, to the outcome of your playstyle and then also for the feely uh, we have uh spell casting skill checks uh which you know I think they do add a little bit of flavor uh to you know make it feel a lot more tangible that you're like performing a ritual and invoking the powers but it's we didn't just put those in just for the sake of having them they are actually right right they provide a challenge so that the to give the a player an opportunity to gain a reward which is uh invocation points which are very much like sorcery points, if anybody's ever played a fifth edition sorcerer, and that's something about how uh, all of our classes actually have a point management system. They each get their own unique point resources and their own ways of uh, scoring those points and how to spend them and such. Uh, but that's that's a big part of spellcasting for the feely. And then you know we have such things as making uh, ritual casting a bit more of a demand with uh, actually. Having to perform some or you know give some kind of sacrifice doesn't necessarily have to be a living animal mm-hmm. sacrifice. that the players aren't into that though, that would be authentic. It could also just easily be uh, an an item of a particular amount of worth. So, you know little little role play things like that. We we give some mm-hmm. items that uh, help out with uh, spell casting in unique ways that haven't been seen before. So it's a lot of. Uh, like I say, the foundation's not different, but we've we've added a lot of dressing in in a lot of different ways here and there a lot of little accents that's awesome uh yeah uh, it's, uh i
1: yeah during our campaign that I uh, did I actually surprised uh uh Matt with a yeah the ritual for oh I can't remember it was called uh death ball was the
0: oh yeah yeah.
1: Yeah, and so I, I managed to uh procure one of those and it, it was uh it was the ruin to his uh uh boss but we kept playing anyway. Uh <laughs> and yeah, it, it it was uh it was so much fun just to uh see you know uh, they they've kept the same type of magic from almost the beginning to you know uh fifth edition uh oh, yeah, um, they it's might still have the added fancy a and magic new... system yeah so and and then the the dressing that you put on yours just makes you want to dig into it a little bit deeper and it's like oh what's this oh what's that oh yeah. i want to i i can't wait to try this now and and that's that's something that the players are just are going to absolutely love and eat up uh, they're going to see all this, uh, all this dressing, and they're they're not going to be able to get full. They're just going to want to just keep trying and trying and trying. <laughs> so, yeah, it, it's great. Um, so and I know that you said that uh, you know you're on the promotion side of this uh, now of uh, Heroes of Tara. Yeah. Uh, so, um, and I know that you put it on Kickstarter. Tell us a little bit about that.
0: Well, first off, the Kickstarter is going phenomenally. Uh, We have, I believe, about 23 days left to go. uh, And we were funded within the first 24 hours. Uh, We hit our 10,000 minimum funding goal, which is just amazing. Absolutely blows away all of our uh, greatest expectations. Uh, It seems that we are actually really batting above our weight right now or swinging above our weight, however that goes. I'm sure I mixed up a few (laughs) analogies right there. Uh, Hey, it works. (laughs) Yeah, you you get what I mean. Oh, yeah. uh, Yeah, so it's been going amazing. Uh, We actually also just reached our first stretch goal earlier today, uh, hit the 16,000 mark, which now ensures that this game will actually be uh, receiving its own specifically designed character sheet with all of the special little uh, qualities that uh, just make this game so different and special laid out there very easily and accessibly for the players to uh, have access to. And I will also now be uh, including with the book uh, nine pre-built characters, each of them at uh, various increments of levels, uh, so the players can just pick up and go, you know, quick and easy at any level. So... You know, a nice little humble start for our first uh, stretch goal, but uh, we got some more exciting stuff coming up uh, right around the bend here. Our next stretch goal of 24,000 is going to be a new tribe, a new race where I am adding in uh, what will be called the Doinashi, but that is that's a Gaelic term, uh, but essentially will be. What we have now are the Ashi for our fae like people, and they are most comparable to elves in terms of all the other kinds of RPG D&D games you have out there. They're, you know, medium-sized mm-hmm. humanoids, elf-like. The Dynashi would be the small-sized fae like humanoids to provide that uh, option for players who, if they're coming from, you know, uh, you know, fifth edition D&D, if they want uh, to have like a halfling or gnome type character, or if they're coming from Irish mythology. If they want to have uh, a character that is, you know, like that archetype of the leprechaun, though, of course, the leprechaun is very much kind of, you know, one might say commercialized nowadays. There is still a very true kernel at work there that we will be trying to bring to the surface. Uh, And again, uh, this will actually be something that old school uh, gamers will probably catch on to uh, as a uh, reminiscent callback to older editions. Uh unlike the other three tribes which use classes, the Doina Shi will actually have its own uh unique and self-contained and highly customizable character progression system. So Ooh. it's like the old it's like the uh, those old systems where you know the dwarf and the elf were like their own classes as, as well. Mm-hmm. And that's that's to reflect yeah. that, you know, whereas like the a they might kinda it, they, they might uh, you know uh, live alongside human beings and kind of live that human lifestyle and build human style cultures that a human being can understand. The Doinashi are very much more these creatures of abstraction. They're these people who very much live on that edge of the other world who don't even necessarily kind of keep an actual functioning society as as we know it because it's not really required by them. you know They have other ways of getting by. They're very magical and ephemeral beings. And so the way I've been characterizing these uh, these folk, it would be very difficult for me to imagine them just kind of going among humans and picking up one of these careers as a class as like any of the other characters. <laughs> so they would very much have their own unique progression where they are you know, the players are getting their selection of all these unique phase and fae tricks and illusions and enchantments. So that's what's up next on the Kickstarter, if we can hit it, and I think we will, because it's just been phenomenal so far. Oh, we and will. A we'll big credit we'll goes to our promotions guy, Daniel. <laughs> yeah, I've had a lot of good
1: conversations with with Daniel. Uh, but speaking of the team, did you want to give any uh, shout outs to uh, to the people? I know that you mentioned that your father uh, was working on it as well. Um, Absolutely. Uh,
0: anyone else that you'd like to uh, to promote here? Oh, I mean, if, yeah, if I could just go down the list, heck, if you're, you know, if you would allow sure. me, Every, everybody who's been involved so far has been absolutely amazing. I, I feel like one of the reasons that this uh, has been su- so successful so far is I've been fortunate enough to uh, bring together some really talented people. So obviously you've also mentioned uh, your own associate and DM, uh, Matthew E. Kaiser, he is also a uh, a, a very talented uh, game creator with a, some published material on DriveThruRPG RPG uh, and uh, other platforms as well, I believe he's made some contributions. Uh, for instance, he is primarily responsible for populating most of our feats and most of the totemic magic effects that come with the head hunting mechanic. So big credit goes to him for that and I encourage anyone to check out more of his work on drive RPG. Then, of course, we do have my father, uh, Ken Dirksen, uh, the absolutely talented carpenter and artist who provides the uh, uh, white, black and white uh, woodblock prints that anybody will uh, immediately notice as soon as they have a look at this project. We've been putting them up front and center for good reason. They are phenomenal. And uh, mm. I should also, as an aside, let people know that uh, we will be having direct Ink on canvas prints offered uh, uh, to uh, backers who, uh, you know, uh, make donations at particular levels on the Kickstarter. So, just uh, to let everybody know, if they would love to have a high-quality mythological uh, woodblock print hanging on framed on their wall. Uh, then we have uh, the artist of the amazing co- cover illustration we've had of the uh, raven sitting atop the standing stone there on the cliff above the ocean. It's just a phenomenal mm-hmm. piece uh, done by Elvi- Elvira Pawlikowska, uh, an artist from Poland, currently of Sweden, I believe. Uh, phenomenal work. Uh, I can't wait to see what else uh, she can provide for the book. Uh, then we have uh, various character and creature illustrations by uh, Jan Postpisl, who I believe uh, people would very like... Uh, please forgive me if I... Um, uh, butchered that last name uh he goes on by the online uh handle of a uh, merle kier m-e-r-l-k-i-r and uh i'm very proud to have uh brought him onto this uh project as uh, his work is quite recognizable and i should say i knew his work since before i even dreamed of publishing i've actually been a fan of his work for some time uh from uh such things as uh, Cubicle Sevens, The One Ring First Edition, or Adventures in Middle Earth. He's provided uh, illustrations for both of those. He's also worked with the uh, Glorantha setting of a uh, RuneQuest. Uh, Ooh! So uh, he's he he's uh, he's a, 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 an amazing asset to this. And then we have Jeff Menges, who is uh, no less an illustrious addition to the team. Uh, he is an old veteran of the industry who's been involved since the 80s and 90s uh and has actually been a uh, repeating uh, contributor to uh Magic the Gathering and uh, for uh previous editions of uh Dungeons and Dragons so uh we're I, i'm actually uh blown away by the uh, credentialed talent that I have been able to attract to this project and then uh we have Vincent Pompetti, who is uh, of France, and he has uh, he, his work caught my eye uh, just for its uh, singular aesthetic. It's the watercolor character portraits that we've also been putting up quite prominently on our Kickstarter mm-hmm. campaign and elsewhere. Uh, his subject is uh, well loved to be uh, ancient Celts. Uh, if one look at his portfolio, tells you that. This uh, subject is very near and dear to his heart, and so he has been an invaluable asset not only for his talent, but also for his research and insight into the wardrobe and actual authentic representation of that world and setting. Uh, Then for layout, graphic design, we have Simeon Cogswell, uh, editors Kate Nascimento and Sarah Jenkins, and of course, again, promotions manager Daniel Nimitz. Uh, Apologies for going on and on like that, uh, (laughs) but... They, they all deserve uh, their praises to be sung
1: oh absolutely and that's the that's one of the reasons why I uh, wanted to make sure that they uh, were given their proper due um, at least on here uh, once uh, everyone sees their work and contributions uh, they'll they will understand uh, the amazingness uh, that these uh, people are bringing to the so so um, But before we go, I have a couple of uh, uh, favorites for you, favorite questions. Sure. Um, So in D&D, not the Tarakami, but in regular Mm D&D, which would be your favorite race to play?
0: Huh. I think uh, for me, either Dwarf or Elf, definitely – no – see I always jump around like dwarf elf and halfling it's a i i i have a soft spot for like those classic uh, tolkienian races you know i'm a i'm a i'm a tolkien fanboy uh, through and through so I, I i can never help but go far from there i mean it, it's a toss up between those 3 for sure <laughs> right yeah
1: it, it, and i agree uh in fact i'm uh we were discussing on where we want our uh, next campaign to go in our local group. And uh, we're going to start back over at uh, level one and work our way up uh, through whichever setting that, uh, that Matt decides to go with. And uh, you know, it's uh, I've uh, I have a human uh, wizard. Uh, I have a halfling that I have uh, there. And uh, if, if he does decide to uh, go with, um the uh, uh the tara setting uh, i have a feely druid that i'm oh, nice. working up <laughs> uh so uh so yeah i, I really can't uh, go wrong uh some of my inspiration uh, i've just started going through the old Dragonlance uh chronicles books oh yeah yeah and uh, so I have a, a young wizard that's kind of based a little bit off of Raiceland, Uh But the one I really want to play is uh, a halfling uh, that's uh, very similar to a Kender. And, oh, sure. You know, just, uh, you know, almost a kleptomaniac by accident, and they don't even realize it. Oh, uh, oops, uh, how'd this get in my pocket? Yeah, so, yeah. Uh, I, I, I'm trying to do that a Kender. Uh, to... Yeah, just to try to see what I would uh, come up with. What about class? Is there a particular class you really enjoy playing?
0: I love paladins. I love paladins in just putting every single spell slot I have into smite. Just, oh, no, I, I, I just, you know, just, uh, I mean, you know, you, you can talk up barbarians, but honestly, paladins smash better than any other class out there as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> and then they can just, you know, lay on hands themselves and just keep going. And it's perfect for the role play too, because you are absolutely enabled to be that, to be just be that guy who's taking all the hits and getting out there and, you know, Oh man! Every time I play a paladin, I just get into the role so much where I'm just throwing myself into every, you know, challenge. Uh, like, like I, it, it just, you know, with absolute zeal. It, it's very liberating to play in a way. <laughs> oh yeah, I
1: agree. I have uh, an 11th level uh, paladin that uh, that I was playing, uh, and I, uh, you know, I've I played him for a while and. Uh, when we started uh, with a different setting, I, I kind of went a different direction and had him marry a princess. You know, he entered mm. he entered enter, entered a tournament to become the people's champion. Oh, so, ah, nice. So, uh, and yeah, and I was like, why wouldn't I? You know, I I I am a champion of the people. And of course. Know, and he, he went and you know tried to found a church and you know and, and all that kind of stuff. And you know, I just had a lot of fun with it. Oh yeah. Uh, so yeah. I I really enjoy uh, playing paladins as well. Um, And the last one I have is, do you have, like, a favorite magic spell or anything, you know, if uh, throughout your years of playing that you're like, uh, yeah, I'm going to play a wizard and I have to dust off this tome and learn this spell because this is the doozy?
0: I would say that, yeah, um... I know that I just said that paladins are my favorite overall class, but when I want to play specifically a caster, when, like, casting is the experience that I go for, it's druid that I always go for. And druids are my favorite uh, casting class. And for them, mm-hmm. I mean, you already have wild shape, and wild shape's fine. But you can get so much more done with polymorph. I, I, I just... <laughs> I, I, I I love... Uh, pol- I have seen polymorph. I mean, it's probably not just for me. I think polymorph is probably, like, the favorite spell at our table. It has become an answer to so many questions and problems over the years that uh, I think everybody just goes for polymorph immediately. <laughs> I mean, it, it, yeah. You can do anything with it. You, if, you, you, you can transform yourself or buddies for mobility or to give them tankiness. If you need any sort of quality, there is a beast stat block for that. Or if you need to shut down an enemy, just turn them into a chicken. You know, it, it could be used for, for buffing and support and offensively in control. It's, it's just perfect. <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, we had, uh, oh, back
1: in the day, I guess it was second edition days. So my favorite would have been uh, Fireball.
0: And oh I yeah, would have, there,
1: of course. I'd, I'd have the druid, you know, uh, cast like entangle or something, and hold, you know, the evil guy there, oh, and yeah. just absolutely barbecue the guy. Yeah. And you know. so, yeah, it's uh, fireball was always one of my favorites. Just uh, when you're like, all right, I'm casting fireball, and you ju- uh, the rest of the characters just run away. It just you know. back out. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, wait, uh, isn't uh, the room you're... too small? <laughs> gosh We got it. Yeah, but, oh yeah. Uh, but- awesome. Ah. Uh, so, uh, well, man, I, I really appreciate you coming on and, uh, and talking with me. Um, I'm actually starting a new, uh, series, uh, for my podcast, um, uh, about, uh, gaming and D&D and, uh, other related things. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'm glad that I had you come on first, cause, uh. Man, it's, I, I could just sit here and talk to you all night about this. Uh, but should anybody have any questions, uh, tell all the listeners where they might be able to find you. Your socials, emails, websites, whatever whatever Absolutely. you want to give out.
0: Absolutely. Well, I can be contacted personally at, uh, at Jacob V. Dirksen. That's D-U-E-R-K-S-E-N at Twitter. Uh, the Heroes of Tara handle. You can also reach me there at Heroes of Tara on Twitter. Uh, but if you want to reach me more directly and with far more certainty, because I usually check this way more than my uh, Twitter, you can send me an email at heroesoftara at gmail.com and I'll be sure to get back to you within a day or two there. Uh, and I should also say, we have an open uh, and growing Discord community where we're trying to get in as many folks as possible who want to play test this material. We have the full PDF there available for download. Uh, you know, and even if you don't really feel like playing, you know, it's just there for a discussion and you know all the good stuff that a Discord community is there for. So uh, I'll uh, provide you with a link to just a uh, post beneath this video if that's possible, and I would invite, uh, I would invite everybody to just uh, come on down.
1: Yeah, I'll I'll, uh, I'll get all that uh, information from you and then uh, be able to put it on there um and uh it'll be all attached in the uh in the description as well as the uh kickstarter page as well um but yeah man uh jake i really appreciate you coming on and uh talking some D and heroes of tara with me
0: hey it's been great thank you so much for having me on and uh you have a great show here i really appreciate you taking the time to talk with me oh absolutely
1: all right so, folks, that's, uh, that's all the time that we have for today. Uh, catch us on our next episode, uh, and I'll provide more details on that here in the near future. Have a great night. Greetings, listener. Just a reminder that the podcast you just heard is a proud member of the Red 5 Network family. red 5 offers you a great variety
0: of shows you'll be sure to love. So the next time you're itching for quality content,
1: make sure you head over to red5network.com.
0: You'll find this podcast along with a whole lot more. All wings report in. It's the Red 5 Network.